that's what we felt called to do. You know, you do it as it opens up to you. And it wasn't any anything on our part. It was really God just directing us, leading us to do it. It's such a privilege making a difference in people's lives. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in. Guys, we can't even begin to tell you what a treat we have for you today. If you've listened to this podcast for very long at all, you have heard me quoting probably almost weekly the one and only Eugene Peterson. It's definitely weekly. <laughs> I think it's weekly. For me, it's hourly. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Just in case anyone listening is unfamiliar with Eugene Peterson, he was a beloved American pastor, professor, author, and poet who passed away this last October of 2018. Eugene wrote over 30 books, including The Message, which is just a beautiful paraphrasing translation of the Bible in everyday modern language. Yeah, and on today's episode, we had the incredible honor of sitting down with Eugene's sweetheart of 60 years, Jan Peterson, and she shares her story with us, the journey of discovering her own calling, how she met and fell in love with Eugene, and some of her favorite moments with him over 60 years together. And she might have accidentally stumbled into a story of how she met one of the greatest leaders of all time. (laughs) Just get ready. We didn't see it coming. (laughs) Guys, she is an absolute joy. This conversation Mm -hmm. was such a gift. And we hope and pray that you will settle in with your coffee or your tea and just soak up every sweet story, every incredible word of wisdom that she shares. Get ready, guys. This is such a good one. Enjoy. Hi, Jan. This is Chris. How are you doing? (laughs) It's Chris. Yes, ma'am. Nice voice. (laughs) Thank you. He's pretty good looking, too. He sounds like he would be. <laughs> he is. He is. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor to chat with you today. Jenny said she had such a great conversation with you the other day, and so thank you so much for doing this, for taking your time to come spend a little bit of time with us. Well, thank you for inviting me to do it. And she did a good job of calming me down. <laughs> she's pretty good at that. We've got five children, so she's, she's a pro at calming people down. <laughs> She knows how to do it. (laughs) She sure does. Uh, I tell you what, we have been giddy about our time to chat with you. I mean, the legacy that you and your husband have left and made in this planet has just been unbelievable. And we just hope you know that we love you. We are thankful for your family and the impact you guys have had on us. And so we're excited today to talk about this book that you've written, uh, but we want to jump into your story. And so if you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from, all that good stuff. Well, I am from, originally, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, We live over the mountain in a little town called Edgewood, and it was a wonderful, wonderful little community. 
friendly, and we had a wonderful little church to go to on Sunday. And, and then uh, after 10 years of being there in Birmingham, Daddy got sent to Montgomery, Alabama, and that's where I went to high school. And then he got transferred back to Baltimore, and I did not want to be in Alabama by myself because we had absolutely no relatives there. So I left college and went with my family and then decided that I would be a good school teacher. So I went to Towson State Community College, and I finished my last two years there. In my senior year, my friend suggested that we go to the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship meeting. And as I was walking through the hallway going to the meeting, I was just praying and saying, well, God, you haven't sent me anyone. And we talked about this five years ago, and I just haven't met anyone. Mm-hmm. If you want me to do all this on my own, I'll do it but you're going to have to help me a lot because I don't know how to do things that I feel like you want me to do for you, serve you. All my friends and my brother included, you know, had dedicated their lives to Christ. And I did also, but I didn't know what I wanted to do and what I was cut out for. had no idea. And so going to that meeting that evening, I just prayed that prayer and Within an hour, I laid my eyes on the man that I was married to for 60 years. Oh. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty awesome. So you laid eyes on him, and then how did you actually start dating? Well, my girlfriend and I sat in, the, in about the sixth row from the platform, and when Eugene was called to come out to lead the singing, we were just eye to eye, and we saw each other, <laughs> and we recognized, we recognized the other. Wow. And, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wow. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember the day I recognized Jenny. <laughs> it was pretty great. Those are great days. Yeah. It's so cool. Well, this was, too, because I had almost given up on young men in today's world. Mm. in that world a long time ago. But he had just come to Baltimore. He had been sent to Johns Hopkins University to get his Ph.D. So we both really were aware of each other that evening. And after he was leading the singing, he went and sat down on the other side of the aisle from, from my girlfriend and I. So when we got up to leave, we kind of met in the aisle and very, very shyly said to each other, hello. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so funny. Yeah, it was really funny. Oh, and then somebody came, a friend came along and said something to me, and so I turned away to listen to her. And then when I turned back, he was gone. And then I saw him down at the book table, of course, the book. <laughs> so I thought, oh, well. Then I thought, well, I'm going to have to go to a youth fellowship tomorrow evening for sure because I've been asked to lead the singing. So that evening, Sunday evening, I was leading the singing at this Presbyterian church. 
the youth group. And lo and behold, who should come in but Eugene Peterson. But I didn't know his name then. But he was accompanying Charles Fincham, who was from South Africa and was at Hopkins to get another, get another PhD. And uh, he asked Eugene if he would go with him because he didn't know anything about Baltimore or how to get around. So Eugene was planning to go to the Messiah downtown that evening. But instead, he was a good little boy, <laughs> and he agreed to, to accompany Charles to the church. So we chatted for a little bit after the meeting. We had refreshments, you know, we'd stand around and talk and get acquainted with each other. But little Southern girl that I was, and I talked a little more Southern then than I did. <laughs> <laughs> he was attracted to me. And I was attracted to him very much so. And so I kind of connived Jerry Reeves, who was going to take Charles and Eugene back to Hopkins that night, that he would drop me off at my house. You know, you just have to drop me off, Jerry, because it's just right on the way to Hopkins. (laughs) No problem at all. So she and I sat in the back seat and talked. And he asked me to go out. I think he called me the next evening. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. He called me the next evening. The night that we met, he went back to his roommate, and he said, Bob, I met the nicest girl this evening. And he said, what's her name? And he said, Janice. And he said, Janice what? He says, oh, I didn't get her last name. And so... He had a bulletin that he had brought from the church that evening, and he was looking through it. He said, oh, her name is Janice Stubbs. He said, well, let's call her up. And Jean said, we can't do that. <laughs> come on, come on. So that's when they went across the street to the drugstore, and Bob had him get a $10 worth of dimes. The phone calls were 10 cents at that time if you can believe it. (laughs) (laughs) And so he gave Eugene the dimes, and he says, get in there, and he pushed him in a phone booth, and he said, start calling. So Eugene started at the top, and when somebody would answer, they'd say, who? And Eugene would hang up, and (laughs) he did six at the top, and then six at the bottom, and my father's name was Vincent. So it wasn't too far that he had to go up and down, up and down the list. And my father answered the phone, and he says, no, she's not here right now. Uh, She's next door visiting our neighbor. Can I ask you who's calling? And he says, oh, no, I'll just call her back. And so when my father told me when I got home, I was really excited. (laughs) He had tried to get me on the phone. And so finally, to make a long story short, we did get together. So you were a pastor's wife for almost 30 years, is that correct? Oh, more than that. Oh, more than that. Yeah, we served a church in White Plains, New York for three years. Okay. And before that, Eugene served a church in Towson 
for one year before we went to New York. And then after that, we were sent to Baltimore to start the church, a Presbyterian church. So, And that's where you pastored for 30 20, years. 30 years, that's right. Okay. 29 years. 29, 29. years, that's right. And I, I read mm-hmm. in Eugene's book that when you were dating, you told him you wanted to be a pastor's wife. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yes. when did that dream kind of begin for you, and what sparked the dream in your heart to become a pastor's wife? I admired pastor wives that I do as a young person, um, and so I just, I don't know. I think it's a God thing. Mm-hmm. I really do. You know, we didn't have any pastors in our family and whatever, so. And initially... Becoming a pastor was not a part of Eugene's plan, correct? That's right. <laughs> he kind of didn't think he would be a pastor. That's right. So how did that shift happen for him, and were you secretly praying for that behind the scenes? Well, I resigned myself to the fact that he wanted to be a professor. Hmm. But by that time, I was so in love with the man hmm. that I just I would have followed him anywhere. But I did tell him one day, this is kind of funny, I told him one day that I didn't play the piano. <laughs> and I knew that's what <laughs> all pastors' wives do is pour tea for the ladies' circles and play the piano. Uh. And I didn't do that. So I had to confess that to him, and he said, well, that was all right. <laughs> <laughs> That is so great. All right, well, I would love to ask you this question. You know, you guys are both very gifted and talented people. God's given you influence. How do, in a kind of a marriage relationship, when you both have these giftings, how do you make room for each other's callings and help each other kind of discover those? What does that look like for you guys? For a long time, I don't think I realized what I was doing, that I was supporting Eugene's call. One day, a friend was visiting us, and as they were leaving, she said to me at the door, she said, you have a call for hospitality. Mm. And so I hadn't even thought about that. And the more I thought about that, I guess I thought, well, I guess I do have a call for hospitality because that's what I enjoy doing so much. And I just wanted to support Eugene in his ministry because I couldn't be a pastor. I knew I couldn't be a pastor. But I wanted to serve God. And so I did the next best thing by marrying a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you've written this book, Becoming Gertrude. What made you finally want to write your story? There was a woman in our church in Montana. And she had been the promotion writer at Fuller Seminary and had just retired and came to Montana to live because her son was there and he didn't want her living by herself. So she got acquainted with me and she just said, you have a story, I'm sure, in you. Hmm. And, And she kind of guided me and helped me along with it and told me how to do it. One thing Eugene told me, though, was to not write a story or a book, but just write. So that's what I did. I wrote a lot of stories of things that I 
recalled in my own life. And that then became the book. So one of the things I love you talk about in the book is discovering your calling of hospitality and of serving, caring, and really people. Your gift is people. Can you tell us more about how you came to fully embrace that and what that gift has looked like in your life? I think that it has supported Eugene's ministry. We've had many, many, many people in our home through the years some for just an afternoon visit or a lot of them for overnight. And I just, I love doing it. I just find out that really is who I am. So help me with the question again. (laughs) Okay. So just maybe give an example of a time that you tell in in the book about using that gift in your life, whether it was serving someone that God brought across your path. There's one story I love you shared about the girl in your neighborhood who was riding her bike past you, and then you found out she was really struggling, and you invited her to come plant tomatoes in your backyard. (laughs) Do you remember that story? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure I do. Okay, could you share that one? Yeah. When she and I both had noticed Kay, riding her bike like fury. She'd come into the church parking lot, you know, and drive around when we were walking up to the church. Or So how did we get to know her, who she was and whatever? A neighbor called Eugene up one day and she said, my neighbor is in the psych ward at Johns Hopkins Hospital and today is her birthday. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if you could go down there and visit her. And that's how he got acquainted with Kay and then how the story with wanting to plant vegetables. She told him that she had started some tomato plants in her closet, but she couldn't really put anything out in the yard because they lived down below us in a wooded section. And so that's when he said, well, you can come and use Mrs. Peterson's garden because we're going to be going to Montana for some time this summer. That's how we got started with the garden stuff together. And I just I loved her. I just found out how much I loved her, and we, we just did fun things together before we left for Montana. And we'd go swing at the swings in the park and play in the creek and do all kinds of things together. She had anorexia very badly mm. and felt really sorry for her and hated to go off and leave her, but um, she assured me that she would be okay. <laughs> mm. And when I came back, she indeed had done really well. She planted the things in the garden, and she just seemed really happy to have me back. And, but that little girl, you know, and I'm not going to take credit for it. She has made a life of herself. She finished high school. She went on to college. She went to graduate school and became a doctor, got her doctor's degree, and then went back and finished her PhD. Mm. She's just amazing things.
You know, that's something that you and Eugene both seem to really do well, that you have eyes to see beyond yourself, to really, truly look at those around you and then reach out to care for them in what they need. That seems to just come really naturally to both of you. Can you give us some encouragement, those of us who are listening, who are really trying to practice this as well? What are some ways that we can look beyond ourselves and really start to develop eyes to see those around us and reach out to care for them? That's a good question. (laughs) First of all, I think you've got to be motivated. You've got to be given the eyes to see. And then just go from there. Like I did with Kay, I did also with the problems in the larger world, world hunger, how I got involved with that and the the African-Americans and seeing the injustice. And it really did bother me as a young person to see the hurt going on. Thankfully, a lot of that has changed, but a lot of it's still going on, too. But you just, I think you just sort of set your eyes on the world around you, and you get out of your selfish behavior and your self-centeredness, and you see other people who need help. And it's a joy to be able to help. You know... You guys have, I mean, I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. You talk about the people that came through your house, the mm-hmm. this ultimate adventure that you and Eugene took together. You've seen so many amazing things, met so many people. What's something that has surprised you about your life along the way? I guess I've been surprised that I would get out of myself so much more than I have. I would in- involve myself. You know, take a chance, take a risk. But it was—it seems so easy for me when I look back now and think about it. I think that's just who God made me to be. I've always liked people a lot and cared about them. I just remember our neighborhood in Birmingham and what a great neighborhood we lived in. We had so many children in the neighborhood and we were very sensitive to the fact that there was one black family that was kind of on the edge of our community, and they had a little boy, and we invited him to come and play with our gang of kids. And, you know, to do that, to reach out at a young age like that and know that we shouldn't separate people out just because of their skin color. Yeah, if if you don't mind me kind of asking a piggyback question on that, were you down in Birmingham when all of that started to happen with the schools and everything? What was that like? Uh, it was kind of hard. <laughs> Martin Luther King's era, he was there. And, oh, I worked for the Alabama Health Department one summer. We would use churches for our sites. And I remember walking in, and I just like churches, and I wanted to see what this Dexter Avenue Baptist Church looked like, and it was during my lunch break. (laughs) So I wandered around, and I opened a door, and all of a sudden, I realized I was in the sanctuary, and there was a man standing there at the communion table, and I just sort of walked in on him, and I said, oh, excuse me, and he said nothing to me at all. But he didn't look like he was very happy to see me in there in his sanctuary. 
Well, years later, because of all the civil rights stuff, then I knew Martin Luther King was the pastor of that church. And then realizing, oh, yeah, that's who that was that I ran into in the sanctuary at Dexter Avenue Baptist years ago. That is awesome. <laughs> wow. What a great story. So you met Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Just yeah. on your lunch break. Just casually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he wasn't, like I said, he he wasn't happy to see me in there. <laughs> you were snooping and I'm not around. Sure I shouldn't have been wandering around his <laughs> sanctuary, his church, anyway. But I just like to look and see what churches look like. I've never been in a black church before. Wow. Interestingly, Dexter Avenue was a very wide avenue that led right up to the state capitol. And I always thought that was rather interesting that there was a thriving black church, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, on that street. They weren't all in some little shack hiding off somewhere. Mm. But they had really a lovely church and lovely sanctuary. Such an amazing story. Well, thank you so much for sharing that <laughs> one with us. I want to ask you a question. From your perspective, what has been the best part of your life so far? What was the best thing in my life? Hmm. Meeting Eugene Peterson. Everything just fell into place after that. God really did answer my prayers for me to meet someone like this and to be able to serve someone like this. It was an answer to prayer. And our whole life, our whole ministry, it's not been a dream world. Let me tell you, we've worked really hard, but it was all worth it. What would you say has been... Um, maybe one of the greatest things you've learned about having a strong marriage and a strong relationship after being married. How long? 60 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 60 years. Well, my mother and father demonstrated love for each other very, very much. They just, they loved each other. They were in love with each other. And daddy and mother gave us such a solid base to work out of. And to know that that's what we want. We want to live a good life. We want to have a good marriage. And yeah, I just think that I've been very blessed with my family. You can't underestimate the amount of influence that has on your life. Well, speaking of life, obviously we are in this moment where we are celebrating the life of your husband, you know, and he made a huge impact on this earth and people's lives. What is the legacy that you are hopeful for, for you and, and him and your family as the generations move on? Hmm. I, I think Eugene has definitely left his legacy. People talk about that smile of his hmm. all the time. When he was in the hospital before he went under hospice care, aides and the nurses, they all wanted to come into his room and see that smile. And they'd say, look, there it is, there it is, and they'd point to Eugene. It was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think the legacy is the writing, and he said shortly before he died that he 
he hesitated to say it because it sounded too much, you know, like I think too much of myself. Or, but he really wanted to make a difference in the way pastors look at their lives, that they're not just here to make a name for themselves. And, and I think he has. I think a lot of pastors have taken that role of being pastor a lot more seriously and a lot more for the other people, not just, this isn't all about me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you, you know, even just the story in Kay's life and how you impacted her life yeah. and the legacy just in her life alone, I know that echoes throughout so, so many, many people's lives yeah. that encountered you and then encounter Eugene and that smile and all of the books that he's written and <laughs> yeah. just his heart and, and both, honestly, both of your hearts to serve and love people. Uh, that legacy I know is going to impact so many lives for generations to come. So thank you so much for doing that. Well, that's what we felt called to do. You know, you do it as it opens up to you. And it wasn't any anything on our part. It was really God just directing us, leading us to do it. Yeah. That's great. That's beautiful. It's a privilege. Mm. It's such a privilege making a difference in people's lives. Mm. Yeah. That's Absolutely. great. Well, we love to wrap up the show with three questions. And so I'm going to throw them at you now. The first <laughs> one is this. What is a book that has changed your life? What one book has changed my life? Gotta, yes, ma'am. You gotta pick one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the the message. I mean, I'd say the Bible. Right. That's pretty great. Yes, <laughs> I think the message has changed many lives. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, and then the second one is: What is a habit or a discipline that has changed your life? Uh, prayer time when you're journaling. When you're writing a letter to a friend who's hurting, I think all those things are, I would consider prayer times. I loved going to Pennsylvania and having the, the silent retreat. That just changed my life so much. It internalized so much for me, and I wasn't afraid of being quiet anymore, like most women talk. <laughs> yes. I felt like this was a new door opening for me. And when I went back to my prayer group and told them about it, and then we started having our own silent retreat once a year, that just made a difference to us. That sounds amazing. It it also sounds difficult to do. If you're a talker, to be able to just embrace long stretches of silence. Yeah, it's just... told Eugene in that evening uh, when Douglas Deere called us into the silence, I just said to Eugene, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> but you know, the one thing that I really liked about it was that you didn't have to talk around the table with all these strangers. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could just, you could eat your meal and not have to force yourself to be light or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But you're in the silence. Yeah, I like that. And then I really liked it when we, the women in the church, when we had these silent days. And they weren't days. You know, we only had like half a day that we could do this. And then we had 
to go pick up our kids from school. But it was a start. That's great. That's Absolutely awesome. love it. All right. And the last and final question is, what advice would you give to the younger you? Hmm. I would say to pay attention to their internal lives and try to see what God is saying to them, what God is calling them to do, to be. I don't think we can do this on our own. I don't think it just comes out of the sky. I think it's a relationship that we learn to have with God, and we practice it. And then it becomes more natural and more real for us. Yes, agreed. So So good. good. Thank you so much for taking your time with us today. We're going to make sure everybody knows about this book, Becoming Gertrude, and how it can impact them, how they can go get it, all of that stuff. Jan, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your life and your story and just for being an amazing example to so many people. Well, I hope and pray that it will make some real difference to some people, for sure. Well, thank you for inviting me and having me on your program. Wow. I mean, wow. What a story. Really? Yeah. What a life. Yeah, I know. Well lived. I know. We hope that you were reminded as we were that life is a gift Mm -hmm. and it is over before we know it. We only get one. Yeah, right? I I know. I think her and Eugene, the way they live, they truly embody what this podcast is all about. How about that story of her neighbor, Kay? I just can't stop thinking about that. Like, she literally was healed by the love that God poured through Jan and Eugene in her life and became a doctor and got her PhD. I mean, just incredible. You never know who is riding right by you on their bicycle who just needs some love and maybe a place to plant their tomatoes in your backyard. I mean, so incredible. I I was blown away by just the random, oh yeah, I met met, Martin Luther King Jr. That's (laughs) okay. Good to know. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. Oh, she was incredible. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. We are having a blast with you every week. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing. And thanks for reaching out. We always love hearing from you. Yep, that's right, guys. You can find us on social media, over on our website, letsliveitwell.com, or you can leave us a review right here on iTunes. And make sure you grab a copy of Jan's book to hear more of her sweet stories Mm -hmm. and incredible life. It's called Becoming Gertrude. Make sure you check it out. All right, guys. Well, that is a wrap on probably one of our favorite episodes of all time. So thankful for you. And let's close it out like we do every single time. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it well. well.